Alright, so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to uh, Titus chapter 3. We're finishing up our study through the book of Titus. So Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to finish up looking at verses 9 through uh, 15. Um, this passage, you know, as, as we're kind of looking at, we're going to see these final instructions that Paul gives to uh, the church and to Titus that he's to relay to the churches on this island of Crete. But something that I, w- I want to focus on this morning is that, you know, throughout the church's history, uh, church discipline is a major part of church life. It's, an, it's really an essential. Uh, it's an essential part of the body of Christ. And so, you know, even as we're thinking about, okay, like we're pulling together a team and we're coming more and more like, <clears throat> like, like an army, as I mentioned, even of, of seeing like people in the workplace where God has you right now in different locations, the neighborhoods, the workplace that you, uh, that you work at, the environment that you live in, the, the places you frequent. God's put you there for a purpose to make Him known. And so we've said from the very beginning, our mission is to, to help people joyfully follow Jesus and make Him known. And that's our aim. That's our mission. We want to see people joyfully follow Jesus, not to feel like it's a, a drudge to follow Christ and like, I'll have to keep all these commands. We want to, to see like, it's, you can find joy in following Christ. And then we want to see people making Him known. And we make Him known in just the everyday experiences of our lives. You know, as you work, as you play, as you are with your kids, all those things, those are opportunities to make Him known. And so as we form and as we're pull, we've pulled together, I'm so thankful for each of your families, your investment, your prayer, uh, just here. I mean, the other day I uh, heard someone outside of, that's connected to this church through a family member, but outside of people coming here. And to hear them tell us that they're praying for us every single day is, is, is such a blessing to know there's people, and there's many people praying for Redeemer Community Church to thrive. Um, just the other day from Shepherd's Church, I get a, a tech or an email from Steve Stadmiller and he's showing me a picture, a poster that they're going to put up at the church at Shepherd's uh, about some of the church planters and these four different churches, ours being one of those being planted. And now, I mean, here's a church of three, 4,000 praying specifically for our church to thrive and to, to advance and to make a difference, to, uh, to reach a community with the gospel, because we believe the gospel is of utmost importance. And so throughout history, there's, there's these aspects of the church that somehow they get left behind. Um, and what we see, though, is in Scripture, and this is why I want to say this, as we pull together a team, the importance of membership. I think there's been a season about a past decade or so of kind of watering down the standards for a church membership of saying, you know, well, you like, or, or even to the point of not, not even having a standard, like, Hey, just come. We're not going to worry about it. I remember uh, reading Mark Dever's book, Nine Marks, when I was in college. And for the first time, like I started even being one of those people kind of questioning, like, what's, what's the purpose? Like, why, why have a membership? Like, why have church and have life and have people be like committed to it as in like officially being a member of a church. And in it, a big part of it, and I, I thought this is what helps solidify it for me. Obviously in scripture, we even see some of these principles, but specifically the idea of accountability. The importance of saying, hey, I am a follower of Christ. The importance of taking that step of, of baptism and identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so you identify with Christ. And now you're saying, like, I am a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. And so to have a gathering of people, a group of people following Christ together, 
helping one another keep each other accountable. And this was emphasized in Scripture. I mean, Scripture is filled. Jesus speaks on it directly on church discipline, the importance of it. Directly, He speaks on it in Matthew 18. He, gives us, he, he outlines for us specifically, how do you approach disciplining a believer or a person who's claiming to be a believer in the church? Matthew 18. Paul rep- repeatedly brings it up in passages like Galatians 6, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians uh, 2, Th- 2 Thessalonians 3, and then Romans 16 even, and then even in our passage um, this, this morning. And so it is heavily emphasized, and it's of extreme importance. So why do more churches do it? Why don't we, why don't we care enough about someone's soul that they're living in, they're living in sin that we don't approach them? You know, why do we sit back idly sometimes? Um, I, I don't, I mean, I do not, I, I don't mean this in a, a really a bashing way. I mean it to bring light to it. But interestingly, the Southern Baptist faith and message that's their uh, guide for their doctrine and beliefs, if you've ever been a part of a Southern Baptist church or heard about it, um, I mean, it's the largest denomination in America. The Southern Baptist faith and message, the F- Southern Baptist faith and message has been updated over the years, 1925, 1963, 2000. In all of those, none of them have a statement on the biblical teaching on church discipline. But yet, hundreds of years ago, up until about the early, like, like late 18th century, early 19th century, we don't really, you, you, don't, you start seeing less and less of the church discipline. And, you're, and probably for most of you, you're like, and I would say some of us, we would say from a pastor perspective, being in a church for me for, for years serving in pastoral ministry, Someone might be saying like, well, that means the church is doing a good job, right? Like you're not even hearing about it. It's never getting to a congregation level. It's been dealt with behind doors and there was a, if someone repents or they said, you know, I'm done. I don't want to be a part. And so they leave. And so maybe you think that, but I would say, I'd argue most likely it's not for those reasons. I think the reason is we fear man. We worry what they're going to think. And so we do this all the time, right? Like you might have friends that people in your life that you know, and you see maybe some bad habits or you see a pattern or you see different things. Are you willing to step in and at the sake of that person and say, you know what, I'm going to, hey, like I've noticed this about you. I've noticed some, some pattern in your life. Like I'm going to approach it. You know, it's interesting. I, I like how Tony Evans says this in, 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 a, in a book he wrote, God's Glorious Church. He said, a church that does not practice church discipline of its members is not functioning properly as a church, just as a family does not, uh, that does not discipline is not a fully functioning family. I think for the most of you, I, mean, I think for all of you that are, that are parents, you'd say, of course I would, I would discipline my children. I'm not going to let them continue to live in some bad habits. I want to speak into those things. I mean, we we do that in a loving, kind way. We don't do it in a like, let me, let me get after you and let me harm you or let me, let me show you like how terrible a person you are. No, we do it in a, a loving way. And so we see this here as we look at these final instructions. And I want you to see why this is important. And I don't want to spend too much time on it. We're going we're gonna to walk through this briefly um, and, and kind of emphasize a few things from the, the entirety of Titus. But in Titus 3, look at this. I want to read it together. Starting in verse Nine. We ended last week at verse 8. It says this, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. 
And then he says in verse 12, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And so here's the thing. How does a church, you know, we, we really said, how do, we kind of titled the series, Titus, you know, how, like seeing what does a church look like that's going to last? You know, as we're just kind of forming and starting, it's like, how do we endure? And we looked, as we looked through this book, we saw the importance of having qualified leaders, godly men of character who lead and, and are sound in their doctrine and teaching. And then we looked at chapter two, where you see older men and older women discipling and, and mentoring and leading younger men and women to live self-disciplined, controlled, godly lives, doing good works. Over and over again, if you read this book, you'll see the emphasis on good works. Why? Why is this so important? Because for Titus, direct context, Titus, again, was dealing on this island of Crete. And remember what Crete was about. Remember the description of their own prophet. Verse, chapter 1, verse 12 tells us, it says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. I mean, this is the description of his audience on this island. He is this, this evil island, this people who don't like God. They want to live in their sin and they want to enjoy their sin. So then why in the letter focusing on dealing with the purity of the church? Because I think we all would know. Like, how many, I mean, how many people you know, like, whether it's been a person that's a supervisor and you get to see them, like, you've gotten to see their colors, right? You get to see behind the curtain a little bit of their life and you get to see, you get to see them be really angry and speak harshly towards someone. When they start to speak evil or you hear them talk, ba- talk bad about someone behind their back and you get to see that, how does that help you view, what is your view then, not just of those people they're talking about, but of them directly? It's, it's a direct effect. It's a cause and effect. You, you watch that and you see it and, you're, and you're, you're, you're going to question any other decision they make because you've observed the sinful patterns of their ways. You see, the church has an influence in a society. You see, even thinking of this, of, of David and him going into Bahrain and going into this place that doesn't have gospel influence. There's not, as he said, a national church. There's not, like the church is, it's illegal to have a Christian church there. But what would it look like if one day there was a thriving church, whether it's underground, hidden, or very exposed, a church living out the gospel, their good works are an effect on the society. Just by David's hard work and effort working among these people, getting to build relationships with them, showing Christ-like love, that is an influence on those people. But what happens if when David slips up, when David starts to speak harshly to co-workers and he starts to treat them, um, he treats them poorly, he treats them uh, in difficult ways and is, is unkind and not gracious, that's going to have a direct effect on his witness. Put that big picture to the church. It has a direct influence. And so here's the final two instructions from Paul. And if you have the notes there, here's the, the, the first one is this, is purity and unity in the church must be taken seriously. Purity and unity 
in the church must be taken seriously. Look, at, look back, we, we looked at this last week, uh, uh, one of my favorite passages in really uh, almost in the New Testament because it's the most concise description of the gospel is, is in the passage we looked at last week. But look back at just verse 8. Look what he, what he says here. Going back to verse, um, verse 8, he says, uh, or chapter 3, verse 8, sorry. Um, he says this, The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. What are those things that he's insisting on? Go back to verse four. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You see, the grace of God has appeared in Christ. And here he's saying, listen, here's what he's saying in verse eight. Go go look down at verse eight. The saying is trustworthy, referring to the things he's just said before. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you, notice this, insist on these things things. He's insisting, so he's wanting him to insist or stress this importance of the grace of the gospel. Stress the grace of the gospel. But here in verse 9, he tells him the opposite. So he says, stress the grace of the gospel. But here he says, avoid these non-essential, unprofitable, and worthless religious controversies. He's saying, hey, stress grace, emphasize grace, Point people to the grace of the gospel. Show them the beauty of Christ. But listen, don't waste your time with all these religious controversies. I mean, how much, think about this, how much time is wasted in our day? I mean, if we started playing that game, everyone's like, oh no. Like, it's all of us, right? I mean, every, every single one of us wastes time. Probably like, if you put a definition on Americans, it's wasting time probably. Like, because we have just so much, we have freedoms. And so we can, we can watch TV when we want to. We can, because we have televisions or we have financial means to be able to just live luxurious lives or different things. And so easily we can waste time. But think of how much time is wasted talking about constantly talking about politics. Constantly talking about COVID. How much time is constantly wasted on things that are non-essential, that distract us from the gospel? Here, specifically in this direct context here, he's referring to those Judaizers, the ones who were putting an emphasis on the law and saying it's a Jesus plus mentality. It's like trust in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, but also make sure you're circumcised, make sure you're following the the Jewish law, the ceremonial law. And so he's emphasizing a Jesus and, and so here they would put this pressure on people and here they would talk about these things and they would focus on these genealogies. I mean, we, we wouldn't say that, a, a, you know, having genealogies isn't important. I mean, we see Matthew give us a strong one at the very beginning in chapter one, gives us a, a, a strong showing us where Jesus came from. There's emphasis there. But listen, here's the thing. When, they, when these people, they would focus on all these non-essentials. Man, I remember when I was in college, I was in Bible college and that my first year was it was literally a Bible college at first before I transferred to Clearwater. So it was like all just pastors basically or, mus- or like music pastors that wanted to be music pastors. And every night, I mean every night, it was like arguments over theology. I mean every single night. I mean it was literally every night was like, oh, Calvinism, Arminianism. And it was about end times, you know, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, all these different. I mean we would talk about all these things. And, and here's what happens in a church. If a church can get so focused, all these things are, I mean, they're important to have convictions and beliefs in Scripture. I mean, Scripture tells us these things. They teach these things. But if we, can, if we continuously focus on the non-essentials, it distracts. It distracts from the mission. 
It distracts away from the importance of what he's saying to stress in this passage. Stress the gospel. Stress the grace of Christ and his love for people. Put an emphasis on that. Listen, when they start wanting to bring all these other things, just avoid it. I mean, look at again what he says in verse verse 9. But avoid these foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Notice what he says about them. For they are unprofitable and worthless. Why are they worthless? Now, are certain aspects of doctrine is important. We have, we have essential doctrines. We have the importance of knowing Scripture and knowing why we believe what we believe. Why would some of these things be non-essential? Well, here specifically, because it takes away from the gospel. You're saying that Christ, what, his death and resurrection wasn't enough. You need a little bit more. So, yeah, that's worthless. There's no point in talking about those things. He's saying, avoid those things. Don't get distracted from the bigger purpose. And he's warning him to these things. They're going to distract you away from these things. But notice what he says. But if they continue, these people, so he's like, avoid it. Just avoid it, right? Like there's plenty of those conversations. Like if we take this a little bit more broad, right? There's plenty of those things that in a, in a day, it's like, like avoid this. Com- like you got baited into this somehow, right? Like on, on Facebook or Twitter or something, like you get baited into an argument, right? Like it happens all the time. I watch Tim Keller. This happens to Tim Keller all the time. Like he makes a comment and then all of a sudden, I mean, there's a bazillion comments because people can, can, they're going to come from a direction. They're going to, they're going to tease every single word. Oh, you didn't, you know, you missed a, you missed a, an article there or you missed, like that totally changes. And so you have all these different views uh, stated. They distract us. But notice what he says this. So you avoid those, but notice what happens if it continues. But if they continue to be divisive, You can't just avoid them. You need to confront them. Look what he says here in verse uh, 10. So continuing on, but he says, avoid these things. They're worthless and uh, uh, they're unprofitable and worthless. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. He's saying, don't let the divisive person distract from the mission. So this is where he stresses, and it's really kind of a restatement and an abbreviation of the church discipline that Jesus lays out in in, in Matthew chapter 18. You know, Paul gives Titus this command to protect the unity of the church, protect her mission and influence in the community is too important to allow her to be stained by divisive people. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I remember reading several years ago his, his biography about his life and in his book, he's written several things on discipleship and other, but one, he wrote uh, this book on life together. He spoke on the necessity of church discipline. He said this, nothing can be more cruel than that leniency which abandons others to sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than that severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Nothing can be more important I mean, he's saying this is essential part of the church, essential part of the church because it protects the unity and the purity of the church. Because why is that important? Because it mars the view of Christ. What kind of view are we giving of Christ to the world if we just look like the world and we just act like the world and we live like the world? What happens when we do that? We we mar our witness. Our, Our witness is ruined as a church. And so Paul gives this instruction to Take this aspect seriously. And so Paul's final instruction to Titus is is this. He's encouraged the church to seek, this is your final notes here, so seek to do good because there is urgent 
need. You seek to do good because there is urgent need. Look at verse 12. He says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Meet all their needs. Make sure their needs are met. And notice this challenge in verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you. You see, throughout this this short little book, these three chapters, we see the emphasis on doing good. We see the emphasis on sound doctrine and qualified Again, remember the, the qualified leader, the character, because the character of the leader puts an emphasis on the character of the church. And then if the church strays, if, the, if there's not a discipline in place, if there's not accountability in place, the church will drift. I mentioned that several weeks ago. How I mean, I remember reading an article over Christmas about a church that in three years was faithful to the word, faithful in their witness and gospel witness, but in three years through a slow decay of leadership and bringing in the wrong people, that finally, by only three years later, had they um, elected an elder who, who denied the inerrancy of Scripture. You say, in only three years, it only took three years for someone to say, hey, you know, not, Scripture isn't without error. There's, there's errors here. I mean, like, taken away from the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture in just three years. How's that happen? It happens when there's not accountability. It happens when people aren't invested in the lives of other people. It happens when you just pacify sin. When you treat sin as not that serious. You see, sin is serious because there is urgent need all around us. And so here he's emphasizing, you know, he's emphasizing do good, seek to do good because there's this urgent need. Meet these needs. And there's people, there's people over, I mean, think about the needs of our community right here, just here. I mean, I mean, think about abortion. I mean, there's abortion clinics just right down the road in Lawrenceville. Think about, I mean, the thousands of abortions a day, or maybe even more, seems like, a daily in our culture. I mean, divorce rate, the, 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 the problems of drugs and alcohol and addiction. When you look at our society, I mean, you just see the brokenness. You see all of these things. There is an urgent need for the gospel. There's an urgent need to meet those needs. I mean, the home, I mean homelessness, people with broken marriages and, and, and broken homes and, and children who are, are wayward. There's brokenness everywhere around us. And so I like what John MacArthur said too. He says, God's plan of salvation calls for strong churches that proclaim and live the reality of the transforming gospel so that that it is attractive to the lost. You see, this is why he's emphasizing this. It's like, why is he emphasizing this at the end? Why emphasize an aspect of church discipline? And then here again, just kind of restating this good works throughout this book. The idea of sound teaching and good works. Why emphasize this? I think because of what MacArthur says here. Because the salvation, God's plan of salvation calls for strong churches that proclaim and live the reality of the transforming gospel so that it is attractive to the lost. So how do we reach a community? How do we make a difference? How do we make an impact? How do we reach these people? How do we make a difference? 
For one, we meet people where they are. We meet needs. We see it as an urgent need. And what's the biggest need of all? The need is they need to hear the gospel. It's the good news. It's why it's literally called good news. And here we have this good news to share with the world. And so here's all these people. Think about the the thousands of people that just live right around here. I mean, there's like 75,000 people or more, almost to 100,000 people within about a seven-ish, less than a 10-mile radius of this home. I mean, there's thousands of people around us. Most are far from God. There is urgent need right here. There's urgent need in Bahrain. There's urgent need in China and all across the world. They're everywhere. The gospel's needed. And it starts here, but it starts with Christ church. And if Christ church is going to reach a community, she has to be pure. She has to be unified. And so the gospel here and what Paul is emphasizing is saying, listen, we want to make an impact in our community. It starts with accountability. You see, I want to end with this. In chapter 2, we, we talked about this, but I think it was online that week, so I think a lot of you probably weren't here uh, that week. I think it was the snow day, so some of you were playing in snow rather than church, I guess, but it's okay. It's okay. Not okay. I'm just kidding. Um, but that day, we, 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 we talked about the importance of older men investing in the lives of younger men and older women investing in the lives of younger women. You see, there's... There's this impact of accountability that's essential in following Christ. The Bible is full. The New Testament is so full of one another's, the one another's of Scripture. I mean, we're to, to gather together. We're to gather together. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, uh, uh, forsake the assembling of ourselves. Why? Because we want to stir each other to love and good works, as Hebrews tells us. We're to stir one another. We're to, as a community, we're pushing each other to live godly and holy lives, not to earn God's love, but because we have been loved. Because God has lavished His grace that Paul is telling Titus to emphasize, emphasize grace, emphasize grace, emphasize the gospel. Because of that, we're to then go and do good works so that we can be an impact on the community. But really, it starts in just these one-on-one, one-on-three relationships of accountability, where you have another person investing in your life, saying, hey, like, how have you been, how, how's your life been going? How's your walk with the Lord going? How's your, how's your relationship with your spouse going right now? Like, what's it looking like in your home right now? Like, how, 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 how's everything going? Like, have you been sharing the gospel at, at work? What, what's, what's going on in your life? There's investment. There's like, hey, like how much time have you been spending in God's word over the past week? These are all essentials. And so if we're going to say we're going to be a body of believers to reach this community, it takes accountability. And so what I want us to do over the next several weeks is really, I want to hone in on really looking at membership and saying, okay, what does it look like? What does our church believe? What are our core values? What do we value? What's our mission? I mean, as I said earlier, to help people joyfully follow Jesus and make Him known. This is what we're about. And so if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. I mean, you guys, a lot of you have been coming for months now. Others of you, maybe just just a short while, or some of you are a visitor for the first time. Um, but we want to emphasize this. Why? Because we believe that we need to be united and Christ's church to be purified and holy so that we can really impact this community with the gospel. And so this is why it's important. This is why I would say membership is important and important. Why it's important to be on the same page because unified. What does Jesus call for? Remember, listen to Jesus' prayer. What does he pray for in John 17? He says, may they be one. He's talking to the Father. He says, may they be one as 
I and the Father are one. As His unity that is grounded in the Trinity. And He says, I want my followers to experience that same oneness. And so to be that way, we've got to be on the same page. And we've got to seek accountability. I want to encourage you, maybe if you don't have someone investing in your life, I would love that opportunity. And I'd love to help you, females, with getting you connected with other people that could help invest and pour into your life and encourage you and challenge you. We do this all for the sake of the gospel and to advance it to the, all the way to the nations. It starts here, though, right? We, w- we want to be a church that sends people. I mean, my hope is that any one of you, I said this, I don't know, months ago, any one of you could be dropped off in Bahrain or in Africa or somewhere across the globe, and you get dropped off in that community, and you could be a part of helping start a church there. Because it doesn't... As, as we said, it doesn't take just like, oh, we've got to have a, a, a pastor. Yes, we're going to equip a pastor. But like you could come and be a part of making disciples. I mean, that's the com- great commission. Make disciples who make disciples. Teaching them to observe. Have you studied scripture? Are you in God's word? Taking God's word, applying it to your life and sharing it with others and encouraging them to follow you too. Follow Jesus, make him known. That's what we're after. People who joyfully follow Christ. You follow him daily. Take up your cross daily and follow Him. And then you just make Him known along the path. That's my challenge to you. That's the challenge really of Titus is to live out these good works so that we can reach broken neighborhoods and homes and areas because there is urgent need all around us. And we want to meet those needs in practical, simple ways, but ultimately with the gospel. So let me pray and we're going to sing one more song together. Father, we love you. We love your word. Thank you for the gift that it gives to us. Um, it challenges us. I mean, no one loves discipline. Um, I know I didn't, um, but I'm thankful for it. As I look back over the years, I'm so thankful for my parents' investment. I'm thankful for the investment of friends, godly friends, who pushed me when I was uh, straying away from you, that you had put other people in my life to help bring me back. I thank you for the church and its impact in my life over the years. I thank you for how you use the church um, to encourage, to shape, to mold, to, um, and to even discipline in love. We pray that the goal of like, whether we have to deal with discipline in this church or not, I mean, I'm sure we're simple people. We're going to have to deal with it. But I pray that the, our goal would be restoration. We'd see lives re- restored that the hope of the gospel would display brightly and we would see that hope and see the, a great future um, because of it. And so use us, God, help us to, to live out these truths so that we can reach our neighbors, our coworkers, uh, this neighborhood, these people all around us that you've put us here to reach. So may we do that through unity together and purity as a church and as we share the gospel with the nations. We help we ask for your help in all these things in Christ's name. Amen.